0: welcome to the naturally curious podcast with tawny stowe also known as the woodland priestess where you will be invited to expand your mind to be curious about all things mind body and soul your host tawny is a born adventurer a woman of metis heritage and trained as a medical intuitive reiki master and yoga instructor She is also the host of the Running With Wolves community, a spiritual community rooted in values designed to deepen our relationships with one another and especially the earth through our love of nature, parenting, homeschooling, homesteading, or simply just a love of humanity. And now, your host, All
1: right. Hello, Bright Lights. Everybody, welcome. I'm super excited today. I am very humbly grateful that Chris Gilmore of Chris Outdoors has decided to have a conversation with me. For those of you who've been following me for a really long time, I think Chris is the very first male that I have actually ever um put into conversation publicly on any of my content so I'm really excited that it's you Chris um, because I have a really cool story to share with you about how I really connected in with your material. So I'm not going to give you a big intro because I'm going to tell my story first and then as we go through it we can if I haven't flushed out exactly what you do from there we uh, we can go a little deeper. I started studying permaculture with verge permaculture out in Alberta Uh, 10 years ago, I can't even believe it's been 10 years, but that for sure, just, you know, as anybody who's ever taken a really good permaculture course knows, it just changed my whole life. And when the world started to go a bit sideways, I realized that permaculture was my antidepressant. So I was going to re-immerse myself into a community that's very solutions driven. And so I signed up for Starhawk's online permaculture course because nothing was happening in person anyways. There's no better time to online learn. And uh, as I was knee deep in there, you appeared. Um, You came on as a guest in one of our courses to talk about um, emergency preparedness, especially around fire prevention. And it was cool. I'd never even thought about it from the perspectives that you had taught. And that was the first time I sort of saw your name. And that was the end of it. Fast forward, I get an email from a dear one that I follow and uh, Stephen Martin is coming on this uh, guest free speaker series that you're hosting to encourage people to get back out into nature and to start learning the art of sort of tracking and the hidden mysteries. And I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. I just heard your name not too long ago. So, you know, sure, I'll I'll dive in and and I'll have a little look about, um, you know, what your series is. And then I see you've got Alexis Burnett on and I know him from Heartwood Gatherings. And then I see you've got Caleb Musgrave and I've been studying Anishinaabe moan, So I know his name for bushcraft and and the Anishinaabe piece. And I'm like, okay, there's way too many pieces here. I'm going to at least commit to this free series. And those calls were epic, but here's where, I bought in hook, line and sinker for all the best reasons to Chris Outdoors. You had your wife, Laura Gilmore, on an episode and you sat down next to Laura and you shared what you do with Wild Muskoka. But what I saw was so much respect and so much reverence and so much adoration for this woman in your life. And Hmm. I saw for the first time in anybody that I'd been following beyond Stephen Martin um, and beyond Alexis Brene, I saw co-creation and I saw interdependence and I saw somebody who I instantly felt I could trust with all of my fear, all of my insecurity and know that you weren't out to take advantage of my weaknesses You were out to show a world beyond anything I had ever known. And it was in that call with Laura, in the way the two of you interacted, that I, I came undone. I went, okay, I need more of these people. This is where I want my life to go. This is the kind of energy I want to be supported in. And until your particular programming, especially around tracking and hunting, my experience had always been interacting with men who were passionate about women, not necessarily about just the outdoors. And they were bringing those two fashions together, maybe with some underlying reasons as to what was motivating them. And, and it was so clear to me that your passion was people. Your passion was people. And it was about connecting people to nature. And so I can't thank you enough for that free series because I've now been following you for a couple of, a couple of years. And, I, and I've just dove in to things that are way beyond my comfort zone. You, you convinced me somehow to buy a drill bit. I don't work with drills very well. Um, and that was for the mushroom course. And I failed miserably for the record. I, I got logs without um, bark, which was a first mistake. Um, my well ran dry, which was unavoidable. And we had a microclimate drought. And so all my spawn dried up and it wasn't successful, but I learned and I have been studying the tracking and now I'm in the hunting course. And so I've just been on this deep dive with you Um, realizing that even with all of the training and education that I have come into contact with, within plant medicine, within uh, the herbal life world, there was a whole other world out there that I was missing. And you're like the connection between Mm -hmm. almost that knowledge and presence sort of out with the world. And so I really wanted to bring you on today because I know that uh, you have all these tools up your sleeves, and I'm really wanting to find this middle ground between prepping and presence, and 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 what that actually you know translates into, so that I'm not repeating these um, mistakes of uh, scarcity or that Western narrow lens of uh, attacking nature. As my reserves, and yet, and yet, returning perhaps to a different way of living. So, thank you for being here. That's my really long story, is how I met you, <laughs> and I'm hoping that explains what you do. But if I've missed something, fill me in.
2: Oh my goodness, uh, yeah, I don't even know what to say. That's that's beautiful, Tani. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm almost in tears right now. So, uh, it, it's a journey, you know, uh, doing this work and and trying to be that bridge for people. Cause like, I I definitely feel like sometimes like, man, am I even qualified to do what I do? You know? Um, And at the same time, you know, I've just kind of committed to this pathway and and surrendered to it. Um, But yeah, yeah. Some days it's hard, you know, and I'm, I'm human like everybody else. And I also set a high bar for myself, you know, and, and around conduct and uh, what I expect of myself and, uh, and what my role in the world is, you know? So um, yeah, that, that just means a lot to me, uh, everything you just shared right there. And I'm so glad that that's that's how everything I've done is, is landing with you. That that really means the world to me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just so nice to hear. I don't even know what to say. I'm kind of speechless after hearing that beautiful story. Star All well. amazing folks you <laughs> mentioned over Verge Culture and Starhawk mm. and, and that whole crew there. So. Uh, amazing, you're connected with those communities as well. I didn't realize Verge was your first permaculture uh,
1: yeah, crew. Yeah, uh, 10 period, years so. ago. 10 years ago, I was out in Alberta when I first studied permaculture. And it's interesting to see it. I, And I feel like this is an important message for people too. You, you may not know why you're doing something at the time you're doing it or where it's going to take you. And it may fall off the table for quite a few years before. It's all, oh, look at the way these dots are all connecting now as you sort of, you know, return. And you said surrender. That's an interesting place. Um, we, I work a lot in sort of that, that spiritual lingo, spiritual guidance and, and sort of soul evolution. And there's a misconception that surrender is like, I'm just going to put the white flag up and I'm completely disempowered and I'm done. Right. Versus I'm going to surrender to the fact that my path is clearly showing me, even though my mind says this is not doable, even though my mind says I don't want it to look this way. I'm going to take empowered action of trust and and moving through the direction that keeps falling in front of me do you want to tell us how you ended up on your property
2: sure yeah um yeah how long of a story do you want that one to be
1: (laughs) you can give me whatever Um, version you like (laughs) no
2: i'll give give the sharks version for that because there's lots of other things that we we want to dive into there but interesting enough you had mentioned so my wife and i we met back in college me and laura um, so we were, you know, both two young hippies playing in a band and having lots of fun. And, um, Laura actually did her first permaculture course with Starhawk back in, I want to say around like 2002, 2003. Uh, so she went down to California and at the time I was apprenticing on a permaculture farm, um, up on Salt Spring Island on the West coast of Canada with, uh, Michael Nichols and Seven Ravens farm. So we, were, we basically spent kind of our early, well, most of our 20s really just touring around to farms, homesteads, schools. Uh, I spent uh, a ton of time going and training with various different people in wilderness survival, tracking, naturalist skills, all of those things. Uh, and all of it was kind of this dream of one day having a piece of land that we could caretake and, you know, that that kind of dream of living off the land, you know. Um so we actually moved over to the east coast or east side of algonquin park for a little bit and we're actually living with stephen and megan um stephen martin sacred gardener there for a little bit uh and had originally thought that maybe we were going to actually set up and kind of homestead on their property um and yeah that ended up not working out you know not for i think just for for many reasons didn't work out we left on good terms and we still have great relations with with them um but yeah, we, we basically moved back over to Laura's homeland or where she was brought up, which is over on the west side of Algonquin Park, um, and uh, just started looking for land there. Uh, Laura got a job as an ecological consultant, which actually gave us the uh, steady income that allowed the bank to give us a mortgage. That was important. Uh, I'm, I'm super grateful for her doing that because I don't know that we would have got a mortgage otherwise because um, I was doing all this work as like an outdoor guiding and outdoor ed. You know, I didn't have stable income coming in. Uh, the banks would have laughed at me coming in there. Um, so fortunately, one. because she was willing to kind of just hold down like a nine to five for a bit in a really cool field, you know, she learned a ton through that and was doing really cool work. Uh, we were able to get a mortgage and uh, we just kind of put it out to the universe. We were looking for a home and uh, we came across this gem of a property, you know, 26 acres surrounded by, uh, you know, it's funny here in Canada, we call it uh, crown land, uh, but somehow it's owned by the queen or something. I like to call it treaty land
1: um yeah that's so uh, <laughs> yeah we're
2: in the yeah we're in the williams treaties land so i, I think about that as the treaty lands uh not crown land uh, but we basically back on to thousands of acres of, of treaty land there so um yeah that's how the homestead came to be you know it was a mixture i feel like of, of divine fate and also some like uh clear strategic decisions like hey if we want a mortgage like one of us is gonna have to get a job for a few years and look good on paper
1: mm-hmm. you know let's
2: just bite the bullet and do what we need to do to make that happen
1: and then from permaculture Where did your love of um, sort of emergency preparedness come in? Because that's how you emerged into my permaculture world.
2: Yeah, well, there's maybe I'll tell that is like a little three part story that actually goes back again a little bit before our property. So one of my first uh, passions as a young adult was growing and gardening. So I was actually brought up in Burlington in uh, the suburbs, and I got a summer job working at the Royal Botanical Gardens. Um, And it was the first job that I had that I absolutely like love going to work. You know, I was pruning roses and lilacs and planting. And so I I developed this affinity for plants. But up until that point, you know, I had no naturalist knowledge, no survival knowledge, no farming knowledge. Um, So I started working with plants, uh, which kind of sent me down this path of wanting to learn how to grow food uh, and permaculture. So while I was living on the farm uh, out on the the West Coast on Seven Ravens, I had this realization that, you know, I was, you know, one of the principles of permaculture is observe and interact. Um, And I was realizing that, you know, I was so passionate about growing food and creating these food systems, but I actually knew so little about the ecology that supported the farm. You know, what was beyond the edges of the garden. Uh, I, I was getting really good at, you know, like how to grow things and knowing all of my uh you know the western plants that we grow are maybe not western plants but you know our agricultural plants and I realized like I know so little about the forest Uh, I don't know the trees I don't know the plants I don't know how that all interacts with each other and I realized that was a huge gap and it it kind of brought me to this place of being like well how do I know that what I'm doing here like I thought we were doing sustainable permaculture but how do I actually know it's sustainable if I don't actually have a solid grasp of ecology um, so that kind of sent me in my early twenties on this, like really humbling path of being like, wow, I don't know a thing, you know, and, and actually even to tell one other quick story, cause I think it's relevant here. Uh, I was really into social and environmental activism in my early twenties. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to a anti-logging protest, um, where they were cutting down some of the old growth on the West coast, mm-hmm. um, and getting in a confrontation with a logger um and feeling like an absolute fool and even though my heart was in the right place I realized that this logger I was trying to tell how to do his job actually knew way more about the forest than I did and actually understood ecology way better than I did and he made me look like a total fool in in chatting with him and I still in my heart felt like I'm not totally cool with what you guys are doing but I actually really misjudged you in in thinking you were just some like whatever barbarian hacking down trees like you actually are way more knowledgeable and have a relationship with this forest Uh, clearly a a more knowledgeable relationship than I actually have and that was incredibly humbling as well so I actually went back to school and studied forestry coming out of that because I'm like okay well if I want to protect trees like I better like learn about forest ecology so that started me on this path of the naturalist so um, jump forward kind of 10 years, you know, I'm now studying naturalist stuff, and I'm realizing that through survival and, um, you know, living off the land and indigenous pathways into connecting with the land, there's so much wisdom in ecology. Um, so that kind of became a big part of my journey and path for the next 10 years, um, along with continuing to uh, practice permaculture and growing food. and. the the preparedness bridge was basically starting to realize that I was really practicing kind of survival on the homestead scale, on a personal level. I was learning about wilderness survival and teaching people how to survive out of the bush. Uh, We were thinking about self-reliance on a personal level. And I started thinking about, well, what does it look like to do this on a community level, knowing that uh, I don't actually have a lot of faith in the infrastructure that uh, keeps our modern world together, you know? And since that was probably part of how I went down my path originally 20 years ago, living in the suburbs and feeling like, you know, this is all really comfortable and kind of nice, but I don't actually have faith that it's it's gonna last long-term. Like there's mm-hmm. so many aspects of it that just don't seem sustainable to me. Um, so that was always a burning question of mine in the back of my head. Um, so in my, I guess, as I was going into my thirties, I hit this place of being like, I really don't trust the infrastructure that the world is built on, particularly where I live anyways. Um, And I'm learning all of this stuff about personal survival. I'm like, what does it look like to take this to a community level? And um, how do we prepare for climate change? And, you know, some of the big shifts that I think are going to be happening in the world in my lifetime. So I actually went back to school to study emergency and disaster management, like kind of from a modern Western lens. Um, So I started going to George Brown and taking classes. And then I actually connected with a a company, Emergency Management and Training, Inc., that actually does training and emergency planning with governments, with businesses. So I ended up actually working with them for a couple of years, um, you know, working with hospitals, working with governments, um, doing like big emergency drills for earthquakes and disasters, which was a really, really cool experience. I learned a ton. I really enjoyed it. But my heart was always more in the kind of grassroots aspect of it, um, Mm -hmm. and there was some big pieces for me missing in that work, you know, in that it was a very, like, tactical, Western kind of approach to it. Um, and as I say that, I don't necessarily even mean that in a negative way, because there's some incredible uh, tool, useful tools that come out of this, like, Western <laughs> tactical approach to things. Yes. But what I wanted to do was bridge that with what I knew about uh, ecology uh, and permaculture, as well as people and community. Because uh, those were some of the pieces that I felt were left out of modern day emergency preparedness. So that kind of then set me down the next journey in my life was, okay, how do I now bridge these different aspects of my life? Um, so understanding community and psychology and sociology with uh, permaculture and regenerative design with preparedness um, with uh, what's the one I'm missing there. I feel like there's a fourth pillar there. <laughs> Ecology. <laughs> a yeah. fourth pillar. Okay. So there you go. There's, there's the bridge for you.
1: And it's fascinating to hear you say that because, you know, we can sit here today, you know, fast forward 20 years later, where of course we have twenty twenty 20 hindsight. Um, but it's not just, you know, for me, it's not just how fragile, you know, the economic structures are. It's not just our government structures or our medical structures. I even just started realizing, especially as of late, we've lost the art of, you know, community connection. And because we've lost that art, we're relying on someone else to rescue us at all stages of the game. So let, let's, let's just say there, we were talking about this on your mushroom course last night. So let's just say I live in an area, that's heavily treed, and I also live in an area that's heavily sloped. Let's say we have a huge forest fire come through and somehow my house survives and all of that ash runoff runs down into my lake. Well, my entire groundwater system, my fish, my wildlife, everything is at risk. And that means all of my, especially if I'm a wild forager, I'm a, um, uh, maybe I hunt for all my game, I've got nothing. Everything is wiped out in that one fire. And, And when I think about it in that way, it doesn't make me fearful. It just makes me recognize that if I understood the signals of nature better, and if I had a better connection to community, we would thrive under so many different s- situations in such a different way than I was ever um, brought up to be raised. I used to think that it was just Burlington that was the problem. It was just Toronto that was the problem. But now even being out rural, I can see it's more than that. It's It's not just about where you live. It really is the ecology of the way you live and, you know, what is it? What's in that? And that's where I feel like this whole prep versus presence things comes to play because you could prep till the, till the cows come home. I can't think of a better expression. Um, And if, unless you have, um, you know, literally got an underground bunker and enough food to somehow survive, you know, five I don't know, how long does it take a good forest to regenerate? At least a minimum of five to 10 years. Unless you can live that long, it could be that simple. One forest fire and all your prepping, is it's useless. So this idea of uh, getting interconnected to community of people, but also community of surroundings, your, your forest, um, your wildlife, and and starting to understand that is, is what another piece that keeps me super drawn to all the ways you teach, because I find no matter which course of yours I'm in, there's always, um, this is an acronym, another mama just taught me, it's awe, A-W-E, and what else? So you present Mm. something, and what else? What else is underneath that? What else is going on? What else is interconnected until you end up with so many ripples that um, you know growth is you know growth is inevitable. So well, you know, that's my interpretation of this idea of trying to find middle ground, but you have way more, you know, sort of experience behind that. What what's your lens on on prep versus presence and 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 where do they play a role and, and how do we find calm? somewhere in between all of that. So we're not living in a chronic state of fear.
2: Awesome. Those those are great, great thoughts there. Um, Yeah, let me think. Where do I want to go with that? Um, I could go a lot of different directions with that. Um, So there's two main pieces. I guess I'm hearing you say there's this piece around calm and all of it. And then there's this prep versus presence. So I'll try to I'll try to hit on both of those pieces. Awesome. yeah, uh, so I'm really passionate about uh, preparedness, but I've never thought of myself as a prepper. And again, I don't mean that in, in any way as an insult to people that are into prepping. Like, I've, I mean got, I've got no problem with that word. I've got no problem with that community. A lot of my friends associate as as preppers.
1: Same. I've
2: never associated, <laughs> yeah, I've never associated as a prepper, though. No. Um, and, and part of that, I think, just comes down to this interconnected what else relationship thread that you keep putting on here, you know? Uh, So as a tracker and a naturalist and somebody fascinated by ecology, uh, you know, squirrels, they cache nuts away for the winter. They dig little holes, the red squirrels. Beavers make big food caches underneath the water before it freezes over. Uh, You know, to me, that's that's thinking ahead. A couple seasons is just life natural and in natural. And, you know, I think, you know, going back to that that comment you started this thread off with around, you know. How often as modern people, we kind of rely on this infrastructure and other people to to take care of us, you know, whether it's putting the food on the shelf in the grocery stores, or providing the power and electricity that heats our homes, uh, the water that comes out of our taps like these are things that are essential to life and most people, um, and myself included to some degree are reliant on systems and other people for getting those. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with being reliant on other people for things you need. But I think it's when you don't have a relationship with those people directly. Like, I don't know who works at the water treatment plant. I don't know who's working at the grocery store. Um, So when I'm missing that relationship piece there, there's there's a vulnerability that exists in that. So going back to the kind of whole nature story there, I think that, you know, by studying ecology, we, we actually realized that like not knowing what around is around the next corner is actually the most natural thing and normal thing in the world. Um, you know, nature kind of is, you know, nature is beautiful, but it's also chaos too, yeah. like all the time. I don't know how many people, you know, a lot of people have this like real cushy vision of like, oh, you know, there's a city and it's so corrupt and crazy and dirty. And then I go into nature and it's all Zen and beautiful. <laughs> uh, if you were a deer, Uh, and there were wolves chasing you multiple times a week, you might have a different feeling about nature versus the city when it comes to those things, you know, like Mm -hmm. nature can be chaotic, nature can be hard and challenging, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's absolutely beautiful. And part of me, you know, where I find peace with some of these intense topics like climate change and preparedness and the instability of the world is actually recognizing that, you know, when I track wildlife, they live in kind of chaos and instability all the time. Like they never know where their next meal is coming from. They never know if I walk over this hill, is there going to be a predator there? And am I going to be running for my life 30 seconds later? That's day in and day out every day. And I don't think most of the wildlife are living with PTSD like humans do. <laughs> um, I, think, I think there's a certain level of uh, embracing the unknown and embracing the chaos that can actually create a, a degree of peace. Um, so anyways, I don't know if this works for everybody. But for me, you know, a lot of people, when I start talking about preparedness, they're just like no, I don't want to go there. That's too much for my brain. And I I totally get that. You know, I think it's partly because of the context of the modern world. You know, when there's all these other stresses on us in the modern world, it's really hard to let our brains go down this place of like, hey, you know, things might not actually be stable or like, you know, uh, this pandemic could have even been worse or there could be another one right around the corner. Like they're heavy topics. Um, But through building a, a deep relationship with the land and actually seeing how animals navigate an ecosystem that's actually chaotic as well and you never know what's around the next corner and is also incredibly beautiful, um, actually brings huge inspiration to my life and brings huge peace of mind um, to me uh, when it comes to navigating this in the modern world. So again, I don't really think about it as like prepping. Um, To me, it's this is just like being in relationship with the ecology of our regions and the uncertainty of life. Uh, and I see it as the most natural thing in the world. But I do also recognize that, like, to get to that place mentally is, is a journey mm-hmm. when we've been brought up um, in this, this Western kind of context. You know, this has been 20 years for me to get to the, the relationship and the peace of mind that I have with it, you know. Um, and, and some days, you know, I, and don't get me wrong, like, I'm definitely challenged by my own views some days or, or have those days where it's like, you know, in, intellectually, I think one thing, but like, I'm not actually behaving according to what I think I believe in this moment, you know, like, I as know. I said, I'm, I'm human <laughs> like everybody else. I have my my flaws yeah. and all those pieces, if that makes sense.
1: Oh, it makes total sense. And I feel like you just, I mean, what you just dropped there needs to go viral. Like that little clip just needs to go viral. Um, to understand that I have failed the most in my life in the garden. <laughs> and I have one, the most personal awareness in the garden. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a hundred percent been a spiritual transformation. Joining your hunting has been, it's been a hard look in the mirror. Um, I've had to come face to face with the, I can't, I can't do that. Um, I don't, I, I, I'm not strong enough to lift logs in the mushroom course. Um, I, I, i'm terrified of a chainsaw Um, i oh what were some someone i i can't um i can't track i can't figure out gates i can't figure out um how those gates are telling the rest of the story i've come so face to face with so many i can'ts that it's opened up this beautiful chaos inside of me to unravel (laughs) one thread at a time and get into relationship with who I wanna be. Not who I think I am, not who I say I am, but who do I wanna be? And the other piece that I I just, um, two major points from that clip I want to go viral is I love this concept of synchronicity. And so I'm heavily following Sarah Swain right now who, is a, um, a really cool publishing house actually for women's content, which is how I um, got introduced to her. But she's taken a huge turn helping especially women, but all people understand politics. Because for her, she's trying to show that politics is people. And, and we need to understand it if we care about people. And one of her big quotes as of late has been ignorance is dangerous. And Charles Eisenstein, being recognized right now as one of the great, you know, modern day thinkers says the key to peace is holding that discomfort inside of us in harmony. And to recognize, we simply need to turn away from mechanization and slide into relationship. That's it. And so you hit both of those points in your own Chris Gilmore words in that, in that explanation of why it's, it's calm because chaos exists all around us. It's natural. It's who do we wanna be in that chaos? And the more you know yourself, uh, the better you have at, at seeing where your growth is and, and you know, where you wanna go next. <laughs> um, and it's, it's unlimited. And, and for those who are listening to this for the first time and you're, you're hearing Chris say, it's, it's overwhelming. There's no way I can handle preparedness. My brain can't take it in. Well, I'd like to throw at you, you know, ignorance is dangerous. Um, choose awareness over comfort, and then give yourself Justin Rhodes' one percent rule. I have had times, Chris. I've gone a year where I couldn't open the Money Network's platform. I just couldn't do it. I was so in my head that I can't. That I literally couldn't. So my one percent was I'm going to read your emails. So I did. Mm-hmm. I read every single email. And then my 1% was, I'm going to turn up on all the free calls for the new people because then I don't have to hide in the shame of uh, I'm not good enough for this community and I'll at least keep myself exposed in it. And here I am back fully in and realizing the more I engage with people and comments and photos, oh my God, I have been learning. (laughs) You know, I have been learning and I have been growing um, and I'm ready to sit in the awareness of both my limitations and my strengths. And, and to keep embracing this chaos um, because I have such a great mentor in you. So thank you for being you.
2: Wow, beautiful. Well, well said there. You know, that makes me think, you know, you know I, I do like to stress that because it's really important, you know, and th- this was actually one of my lessons. Um, some of you might be familiar with the guy, Tom Brown Jr. He had a big influence on my life in my early 20s. Um, I don't necessarily connect with his work as much anymore, but I still recognize him as a huge influence that changed my life. Um, but I actually went through this, this journey that kind of almost broke me for a couple of years and put me in a really dark, rough spot. Um, and it had to do with the way that I, and I say this now, I, you know, propped him up on a pedestal. You know, when I saw Tom, this person that was like living the dream that I wanted to leave. And then through going down there and training with him, I suddenly got to get glimpses behind the scenes and realized that, oh, man, this guy is far from perfect. Uh he's got he's a human, you know, he's flaws, and some days he shows up and he's on, and other days, like he can be a dick, you know. Yeah, totally
1: know it. Sorry
2: sorry for lack of better words, but it's all good. And and I basically just kind of like I I crumbled in that, and it started Mm -hmm. off with like resentment towards Tom for not being who I wanted him to be. And then that actually led into like profound, deep journey of growth and actually realizing that like. Um, I owe Tom an apology for actually putting that all on him in the first place. Cause he never claimed to be that I was the one that put him there. Um, and I was the one that was, took little tidbits I saw of his life and put him up on that pedestal and, and didn't recognize that, you know, Tom had a lifelong journey to get to who he is and I'm only seeing little pieces of it. Um, so it's really important to me, you know, as somebody that, that works kind of as a mentor, I guess you could say, or, or somebody that's a teacher right now to actually be, to open the just just to really speak to that you know that you know I'm I'm not perfect and this has been a long journey and I got a long ways to go and some days I'm on and some days I'm off um, you know uh, and some days I question everything that I know and believe uh, and I think it's just really important you know to to start breaking down those ideas when you're feeling like oh my goodness everyone's got their shit together but me.
1: Um, I know <laughs>
2: my, my entire network of like I, I have a pretty like small circle of like my real close friends but all of them are like the overachievers that have like made names for themselves in the world and I'll tell you that all of them behind the scenes are struggling with all the same stuff you are yeah so they, they yeah. just for whatever reason they have a skill set that allows them to show up on stage and, and put on a really good show but it can create this illusion that can be a little bit dangerous So I I think that's really helpful for people to hear in this world where people often feel overwhelmed or feel like they're not enough to know that all the overachievers, I'm actually in an entrepreneurial uh, mastermind circle where I meet with all of these other people, actually totally different people than myself, you know, people that work like in high-end business, don't know anything about nature. Um, And, you know, all of these are like highly successful people make way more money than I do. And they're all self-conscious behind the scenes. They're all like, you know, have their moments where they're just like questioning their self worth, even though they're millionaires, you know, so I, I think it's really good for people just to know that, you know, that this is a, 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 a journey that we're all on. Um, and it, it's really about, you know, learning to believe in yourself. And I love that, like, kind of 1% rule. Um, you know, like, that, that's been my whole path is just like little staying consistent, you know, I fall off the horse all the time. But what I've gotten really good at is actually getting back on the horse really quickly. Um, when something goes wrong, I give myself like, you know, hours to days Mm -hmm. to be down about it and bummed out. And then it's just like, okay, well, this isn't serving you anymore. Get back on the horse and keep going. And I think, um, I think sometimes, and maybe this is, I don't know if this is a a judgment's the right word, but I, I, I suspect let's call it a hypothesis. My hypothesis is that other people will fall off the horse. And they think that they're the only one doing it. And all these other people have their shit together and they don't. And that's actually what prevents them from getting back on the horse, as opposed to actually recognizing that falling off the horse is part of everybody's path. It happens all the time. And people that reach, you know, I I want to be careful with this word success, because I don't believe in any definition of success. I I believe it's very much an individual thing, um, what success means to you. But I think people that find success, whatever their version of it, probably like the most important thing in that is actually just learning to get back on the horse every time you fall down and to over time you actually develop a skill set where it's like hey I get back on the horse a little bit faster every time I fall off it from the last time and that's really what's kind of kept me on on track in doing this and maybe I'll just leave this little segment you know I I'm not at all like a big like Tony Robbins guru um you know I'm not totally into that scene although I'm not dishing that either you know like that's totally like on people's path uh, in a success way. But I, I will say that I've heard Tony Robbins say some brilliant things in following him. And one quote I've always loved from him is he said that people commonly overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in a decade. And if I look back on my life, there's so much truth to that. Like every year I set my goals for the year, and every year I fail to reach my yearly goals. And I think a lot of people, like when they don't reach their goals on the short term, it crushes them and they just allow that to spiral them downwards. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, this is why I'm sharing this story about all the successful people I know that actually fail on their goals all the time. Because when you get back on the horse quickly and you you keep working on that 1% rule, those little steps, Mm -hmm. uh, every single year, I don't reach my goals for the year. If I look back over the last 10 years of my life, it's amazing what I've accomplished by just staying consistent and getting back on the horse all the time.
1: Those are such awesome points too. I, I love uh I love Tony Robbins. <laughs> I'm not your guru because I have a yoga background. I have, you know, 460 hours of yoga training and there's this perception, you know, you must eat perfectly and you must be a vegan and you must never do these things. And it's like, actually, I do drink a cup of coffee every morning and I do eat meat and <laughs> I'm I'm just a human carving out my own experience. And 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 everyone's experience is just that. It's your experience but there is this idea that anybody who is putting themselves out there has it all together and absolutely sometimes i do (laughs) my new favorite thing when people (laughs) says how are you you mean in this moment right because i can't tell you how i'm going to be an hour from now because i'm dynamic um and and things just seem to be moving around me really quickly and i feel like the more you connect to nature To your point about that deer, there's times where the deer is standing in an open meadow with no one around and probably thinks life is blissful. But the second that coyote or that wolf is on its tail, life has changed, but it's all part of the, all part of the journey, all part of the process. And, and that deer has a hard time finding food in winter. You know, I, if I tune into the seasons, it's okay if I have a hard time in winter, It's okay that that's my time of processing, that that's my time of growth, that that's my time of um, sitting in the darkness and I don't have to like it, (laughs) but it's part of the natural rhythm of of growth. And I feel that when we just are willing to choose to embrace that discomfort, it allows us to continue to stay aware. And I've, I've totally failed at all my goals with all of your courses. I didn't manage to grow any mushrooms last year, I can't hunt a year later. Um, what else have I not finished? I didn't finish the tracking modules because I got hung up on the, I can't figure out the gates. Um, and so if I was just measuring those as my, as my markers, then yeah, I'm a complete failure. But I get back up and I get back on and, I, and I'm over a decade. If you, we connected 10 years from now You know, I know even within the last two years, I am looking at birds differently. I'm understanding that they're speaking. I can identify way more species. I can identify more tree species. I'm understanding that mushrooms play different roles on different trees. Um, You know, I could go into all kinds of things that I've learned, but above all, I've learned who I am and who I want to be. And that to me is really what um, recognizing that it, it took you 20 years. I'm 10 years in now to my permaculture and farming, and I still feel like a beginner and it's okay. It's okay, right? It's- it's. Yeah. I mean, that's
2: one of my big critiques of kind of our, our Western like education system, you know, is we get so hell-bent on the test, you know, um, to judge how far we've come with this course or this experience or this goal, um, you know, versus, a uh, uh, I'll just use the word uh, maybe non-Western, and maybe that's not even an appropriate way to frame it, Western, non-Western, but I Mm -hmm. I think you probably know what I mean by that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this idea that it's actually all just about, you know, uh, evolving who we are as a, a person and our relationship with everything else, the ecology of the region that we live in. And by ecology, I mean people, I mean animals, I mean water, I mean weather, I mean technology. All of it's part of the ecology. Uh, and all of this work that we're doing in these courses, it's all about just evolving how we move and relate to all of that, as opposed to like passing some final test, you know?
1: So- Absolutely. And I feel like that's the perfect solution to a time of great change. Recognize it's just that, a time of great change. And change is normal, change is constant. Perhaps it's us and our approach to change that we're working through. But we don't have to f- have it figured out tomorrow. We don't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. You know, we made it, we've made it to this point in our life um, the way we are, and we'll make it to the next point in our life the way we are. But there's always room for growth. It's just up to us to make that choice, just up to yeah. us to choose.
2: In thinking about that, you know, how to like, because for me, you know, it's been a very much a process of rewiring my brain and how I mm. think, you know, I had to take the first 20 years of my life being brought up in a very modern Western way. Um, and then through a couple of these experiences, like being schooled by this logger and being on this farm and realizing how little I knew and,
1: and then uh, realizing there's,
2: yeah, and this Tom Brown and who I thought I was and who I actually was and not being as perfect as I want to be, you know, through all those hardships uh, and processing, uh, it basically crumbled the infrastructure, um, that, that my, or or, or, let me say this way, it crumbled the foundation of who I was, was built on top of. And I think that's huge right now. I think a lot of people, you know, particularly, you know, with what we've witnessed with the pandemic and, um, you know, looking at the infrastructure and all these people and systems we've trusted our whole lives and seeing how weak they are, it makes your foundation start to fall out. Uh, and you start to cling to beliefs even harder. And part of me thinks about the social divide that's happening right now, you know, whether it's like vax and anti-vax or whatever, you know, there's a million different examples that could get there. You know, people need to cling to a story to justify the foundation that they, they stand upon. Cause when that foundation starts to fall apart, it gets scary. And sometimes that makes us cling to whatever our story or belief is even stronger, even though we're seeing holes in it, you know, on either side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And, um, What I've really found is that going out into nature has helped me uh, and learning the skills of tracking and learning ecology has actually helped me rebuild the foundation, not based on the the illusion of the modern world and infrastructure and how things work, that I was brought up the first 20 years of my life. It's actually taken me to nature to learn how does it really work? Because how it works in nature, like how ecosystems work, that's been around since the beginning of Earth, the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. Um, this modern way that we put so much weight on and has created our modern brains is, is like a blink of the eye, you know, not even a blink of the eye in that human history. So when we learn to track and by tracking, I mean, you know, going out and learning to read the signs of nature and look at actually learn from the wildlife and see how it's all connected to each other. Um, it allows us to actually look at the real foundation of everything, which then makes it easier for the foundation that I, uh, that I built in my mind that's now crumbling uh, it actually makes me it e- easier just to let that foundation fall apart and then drop onto the earth with my bare feet and say, oh, wow, hey, there's a different foundation here um, that I walked on my whole life in the first 20 years. And I didn't even realize it was there, mm-hmm. you know, even though I liked the outdoors as a kid, you know, and I, I think this is something that people a lot of people don't realize, although I think a lot of people are starting to feel it on a deep level, even if they can't put words to it. But you know, I spent, I loved the outdoors growing up. The first 20 years of my life, like I went camping with my dad every summer and uh, I, we, we got into paddling, I was a boy scout, you know, like we had a cottage we went to, you know, all of these amazing things that were such a privilege to do that were outdoors. But just because I was spending time outdoors and I love the outdoors didn't actually mean I was aware. And that was like another humbling experience to get into my twenties being like, I walked, I spent the first 20 years of my life moving as a tourist through the outdoors you know, somebody that thought it was pretty and took pictures and it made me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. Like, again, I'm not saying that as a, as a diss to that, but I'm just saying there's the, the level of relationship between us as a species and our ecosystem, mm-hmm. I think is way deeper than most people brought up in a modern way, even realize is possible, you know? So when we go out on the land and we start learning to track, or we practice survival where it's like, Hey, we actually are responsible for our own food and water um, from this ecosystem. Uh, it makes us ask questions that we never would have before that are really deep, um, and start to really truly see how the original foundation of life is, is formed, and that gives us a new foundation to stand on in the kind of chaos and instability of our modern world. And on a so there's that helps us cope with the preparedness, uh, the infrastructure of the economy and climate change and pandemics and disasters but then on a personal level you know I find it also allows us to like kind of peel away the layers of onions and let our framework fall apart uh, and know that we can rebuild it back up again uh not knowing where it is you know we're going to be that deer in the forest now um, that lives in a world where there's wolves and coyotes and we don't know where the next meal is but we also just know this ecosystem like this we're we're part of it we're actually part wolf even though the wolves eat us you know we're part grass even though we eat the grass Um, so there's this really beautiful thing there and that, I feel like that might even be really hard for some people to even grasp what I mean by that. But I think learning to track practicing survival skills out in nature starts helping us get to the point where, um, those become really helpful tools in, in navigating the modern world and, um, everyone will find their own relationship with that and how it shows up and influences their life.
1: And I feel like that's the, the perfect way to sum all of what you do up. If you're listening to us today and you have had any interest in farming, in growing your own mushrooms, or just having uh, some better ideas of how to go out in nature and identify things, Um, if you've always desired to hunt, it doesn't matter sort of where you're at. If there's one thing that you're looking for, let that be your entrance to a new foundation and just trust the process. And if you get in there and all of who you thought you were falls away, well, we can talk. (laughs) You can come hang out with me and and we can sip some tea and, and laugh about the process. And if you get in there and you're like, wow, I'm all of this and just never embraced it, that's amazing too. Follow it. Just let it lead you. If there can be one great gift from the amount of chaos we're now seeing in all of our systems, that gift can be that you have an opportunity right now to build a new foundation. It's just Take that leap, follow where your heart goes, where that one little interest is. And remember that Chris is a human. (laughs) Don't put him on that pedestal. He's just a human. But, But jump on in to people having these kinds of conversations that can help you question what your foundation is built on and what else you want to be and see where that takes you. How can people access your incredible gifts the best way? I've been following you for so long now. Can you let us know the best way to find you that isn't in my inbox?
2: Sure, yeah. Uh, So I'm about to uh, launch a new website that I'm super excited about. I've been working on it for for a few months now. Um, I don't know when it's going to be live, but hopefully within like a week or so, it's going to be live. Um, So there's kind of two websites there. There's chrisoutdoors.ca um, which is kind of more like my consulting and stuff. So I do consulting. So with organizations around like preparedness, I do staff training in ecology for, you know, camps and organizations. So chrisoutdoors.ca is kind of my consulting stuff, although it links to all of my courses, the one this that, uh, you've been mentioning Tani, but I'm also launching another website that's huntforagegrow.com. Uh, and it's all about, um, sustainably, um, finding food out on the landscape and doing it in as stewards and in right relation and in a way that it's not just about food it's actually about growing our relationship and who we are as people you know that's kind of the the approach to it you know it's not just a utilitarian like I'm hungry and need to go eat perspective so huntforagegrow.com is going to be launching within about a week or so as well uh, and that has all of the various courses and offerings I have on it as well um, so those would probably be the two best places to check out what I'm doing um, if anyone is interested in joining in any of these courses, some of them have enrollment periods. So we open them up like twice a year, like the, the Hunter's Journey, which is all about this ethical hunting journey. And and really, you know, hunting, some people think about it as like it's about killing and how could you ever do that? And, and you know what? It is. But it's also about this the reason we call it the Hunter's Journey, not how to hunt or hunting tactics or hunting 101, is because there's this deep journey that you go on of like processing the taking of life. And a lot of people that take that course end up being like, you know what, I actually couldn't kill an animal. And that's totally cool, you know, uh, but they're like, I, I'm showing up because I actually recognize that even if I'm a vegetarian, animals die through my day to day choices. Like there's no way around it. You know, uh, the trucks that are driving avocados up from uh, the south, they hit deer on those roads as they're driving north. So when I'm eating avocados, animals die. That, that farm that the avocado was growing on, uh, the deer don't live there anymore because it's now an avocado farm um so whether you're a vegetarian or a vegan or a hunter or someone that goes to the grocery store things die for you to live and that can be heavy so this hunter's journey is actually really about exploring our relationship with life and death and this idea of of um how that's just part of being a human and if you want to take that skill set to a point where you actually are harvesting your own food whether it's plants like foraging or mushrooms or or it's another animal's life um you know, there, we've got a community to support you on that journey. So what I was just going to share there, sorry, um, I created a coupon code, though, for anyone listening. Uh, So we have enrollment periods with these different programs. uh, And if you enter woodland, uh, woodland, um, then uh, you'll get 20% off any of those programs um, when they're when they're open. So woodland for 20% off at chrisoutdoors.ca or huntforagegrow.com.
1: I'm excited to see your new site. And I feel like we should just also mention if anybody is also not ready to forage for themselves, but is uh, really interested in starting to understand what those wild forage things can taste like once they're prepared, also check out Laura's Wild Muskoka. And it's wildmuskoka.ca? Yeah,
2: Uh, wildmuskoka.com. Uh, like Muskoka, like the region. And uh, yeah, yeah. So we have a ton of fun wild forage foods and drinks. And uh, we do an elderberry syrup, like a nice elixir health tonic. Uh, and we also do um, most mostly Laura, but we do do some stuff together, but we do guided plant foraging walks and mushroom foraging walks um, through wild Muskoka as well. So if you're interested in deepening your relationship with the plant realm, or you just want to taste some fun, uh, tasty wild forage foods, uh, check out WildMuskoka.com as well.
1: And I know for me, I've gotten my a lot of my library has come through your recommendation on uh foraging and um understanding the the compassion side of hunting and tracking um are those books also available on wild muskoka or will they all be on the hunt forage grow
2: yeah i'll be listing there we have a couple books on wild muskoka uh mainly like a mushroom identification and a plant identification one But on the new Hunt Forge grow site, there is going to be a resource library there with like suggested books and uh, even things like basic like outdoor gear, um, emergency, I have an emergency preparedness course on there as well for people that are interested in this emergency preparedness realm. It's called Survive the Storms. uh, And it's all about like creating a foundation for yourself when like if the power goes out and it doesn't come back on for a few days or maybe a few weeks, you know, Uh, the pandemics, you know, a million different scenarios. Um, But I also on there, I'll have links to like emergency preparedness gear that I sit that most people have is like a baseline uh, outdoor gear for people just getting into the outdoors so i'm going to be sharing a bunch of that on the new website
1: okay that's exciting well i'm excited i cannot thank you enough i know you're extremely busy and um I can't believe even talking about our our journey here about, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, if somebody had asked me two years ago during Starhawk's course that I'd get an opportunity to speak with you one-on-one on on a podcast, I would have laughed and they're like, there's no way. (laughs) And here we are. So I'm really, truly, truly grateful with all of my heart for all that you have uh, brought into my family. Um, My parenting has shifted. My homeschooling has shifted. Um, Everything has had this, uh, you know, a foundation shakeup, And I'm really grateful for the way you have supported our household journey. So thank you so much for being you and all you bring to the world.
2: Yeah, thank you, Tani. And your your opening story was so beautiful. I, I need I need stuff like that. You know, um, it, it's important to keep me in check and keep me focused on, on my work and my role in the world, too. So I, I just really appreciate your openness and sharing. And uh, it's Yeah. It's been such a pleasure to be here and it's such a pleasure to actually build a a real relationship with you as well beyond just uh, the screen. So
1: (laughs) yeah, that's true. I actually get to see you video to video. (laughs) Even if we only share the audio, I got the opportunity. So thank you so much. Everybody else, whatever you get up to, stay curious.
0: Thank you for listening to the Naturally Curious podcast with Tawny Stowe. Be sure to tune in again to be inspired and nurture your curiosity. If you are looking for a spiritual community to deepen your connection to your mind, body, and soul, be sure to check out the Running With Wolves community over at www.woodlandpriestess.com along with other opportunities for expansion.